every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Country boys and girls getting down on the Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, first Saturday of the month. So we have Farm Bureau spokeswoman Julie Murphy in studio. And what a better way to have a 4th of July broadcast than talking American farming. How more patriotic can you get than an American farming ranching community? I just spent uh, a lot of time on the road through Kansas. Oklahoma, Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado, and you, I mean, talk about heart of the farmland, and every you know, every stop was a John Deere or a you know Kubota dealership, and Red just Barn, Red Barns, and miles and miles and miles of silos, grain silos, <laughs> harvests and crops and plows and That's trucks awesome. and cows, and I mean, it was just a a great trip through middle america yes fourth of july celebration great weekend that's the best way to celebrate it is with farming like apple pie and watermelons since we're going to be talking about melons and melons is exactly where we were going if you follow along in our home maintenance calendar uh every month we put together what we're talking about uh and what we try and do in the farm bureau segment is connect you, the listener, yes. with what's coming out of the Farm Bureau of uh, commodities or, or ranching that, that are fresh. So when you're out and you're doing your grocery shopping and you're uh, you know, providing for your family and planning your meals, you are you know which brands to look for or uh, what names to look for to know you're supporting local agriculture. We're very seasonal on Rosie on the House, and being seasonal means that we've ta- we need to talk about melons now. All of our summer vegetables and fruits are just uh, not hot off the press, but hot off or immediately <laughs> off the field, and one of them's melons. And we have a special guest today. We're actually going to find out about her family farming background first, but Cammie Weddle with Rousseau Farming Company, who's she is their director of food safety. That's how important it is for our farmers and ranchers today in uh, Arizona and America in general to be conscientious of their food safety and um, just making sure that what we bring to your table every day is um, at its highest quality. So, Cami, my first question before we get into what you do for Rousseau Farming Company is, Tell us about you. You're a Yuma girl. Your family is still farming. And what's the story? What's the scoop? All right. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So I grew up um, in a farming family. My parents um, still farm in Yuma, Arizona, and um, they do a couple different commodities, alfalfa mainly, and then citrus and lemons specifically. And so it's it's nice to be able to continue to work it for a farm, a farm family up here in Phoenix. Uh, my brother now uh, is working down with my dad and uh, my grandparents started um, that farm in Yuma. So it's generationally um, is continuing down there. So uh, I'm just glad that I'm able to, you know, still work in agriculture. So we can say at least three generations of the Weddells in Yuma. Yep. Right? Yes. Now you mentioned to me where the farm was. Uh, explain that a little bit. So we're actually up on the Yuma Mesa. What so does if that you're mean? Yeah. familiar um, with Yuma, but it's just on kind of the, the Mesa, the top part of 
not in the valley where most of the vegetables are grown, the lettuces and um, your kind of winter crops and melons are down on the valley. And then the top mesa has always um, historically been alfalfa and some cotton and uh, citrus mainly. So there's a couple of packing sheds in the area. And um, so it's a big citrus. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but Phoenix obviously was a big citrus producer back in the day. And uh, so now a lot of that is actually in Yuma. Is in Yuma, especially Mm -hmm. our lemons and well, just citrus in general. So another thing that I kind of like to emphasize about about Yuma, because it's such a mecca of agriculture, is how many cropping, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Rotations. Rotations, thank you, that can be done in just a given year. So Right now, they pretty much are starting to harvest the cotton, and that's how early it is, or they're about to. And then they've got to move that quickly for some of our produce farmers that also do the produce besides the cotton. But there's this amazing secular movement, sec, uh, cyclical movement in Yuma Ag, correct? Yeah, and a lot of... I'm- a lot of the reason you do that is to just keep the soil healthy and not do back-to-back crops of the same thing. So like us um, up here is very similar. We start planting in August like broccoli or cabbage or carrots and then we'll move in. Um, in February we'll start planting watermelons and then we always kind of rotate with a silage corn or a wheat or something milo um, mixed in there. So yeah you for soil health there's a lot of that and then just to be able to utilize the land efficiently and create back-to-back crops. And especially California, especially Arizona, because we have those 300 plus days of sunshine, we also have that capability to be doing quite a lot on the same ground. Uh, Soil health is key, it's very important, and to your point, that's one of the reasons they do it. But obviously, you're now embedded here in Phoenix, so Mm -hmm. uh, tell us that story. What transitioned you to get into food safety, what, what were those influences, and then ending up working for Russo Farming Company? Um, so my background is in science, and um, in 2006-2007, we had that large E. coli outbreak in spinach, so food safety really came to the forefront. And farmers were doing a lot of these practices already, but it wasn't being recorded. And it um, So just kind of that program, the Arizona Leafy Green program, came together, and um, I kind of they were looking for a food safety person that could be on the farm and also in the facilities. And with my microbiology background, it was kind of a perfect fit. And um, so it's just evolved into that. And 14 years later, here I am. And uh, uh, the company and the organization is really great to work for. And a lot of people don't know um, that this valley, we have these large farms um, that are producing our food right here. And and going, staying in Arizona and then going across the country. So it's just exciting to be a part of that. In fact, it's not unusual for Russo watermelons, because that's one of the things you're harvesting right now, mm-hmm. to show up in a lot of farmers' markets or a lot of farmers. It's kind of like a uh, fraternity of farmers. And if you're the one that's growing that premium crop in season, and again, it happens to be watermelons right now, uh, it it might be at somebody else's farm stand because all the farmers know each other and they want that product and the Rousseau family grows everything so well. And that's the other point. They're a large farm, but they're family owned and operated and, uh, you pretty much know all the Rousseau family, correct? Yes, yes. So they're involved. Um, Willa and Leslie are involved in the day to day and, um, he, you know, he's 
planning out what crops we're going to plant and where. And um, so that's neat that there's he's uh, so involved like that. And as you were mentioning, um, it's just, yeah, it's just neat to be in this uh, type of. I have a fun. You you you, t- you mentioned farmers market. I have a fun farmers market experience from this uh, past travel. One of the nights uh, that we're on this trip, I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll cook tonight. We'll do some boiled crawfish. And when you boil crawfish, your vegetables are corn, potatoes, and onions is, is your basic base. And this is just kind of a testament to Arizona and our agriculture. You can have the, the corn trail that you can yes. follow from, you know, basically ele- just above sea elevation all the way up to Snowflake and have fresh corn for almost is it five months out of the year? Pretty much, it's it's extended thanks to the other I like to call them when I hang out with my wine <laughs> friends. Uh, your microclimate. So literally, most of the sweet corn is being grown in the valley, but now that's going to shift, and a lot of it will be up north and down south. So we can start pulling off sweet corn to eat. Late May, would you say, Cammie? Yeah, it's just a, right before Memorial Day is when we right. have it. And, and into the end of September. So, And I don't, I don't know if the Midwest can claim that. No, they kinda... can't because I go, to get, uh, I go to the Des Moines Farmer's Market, as Harold is one of the top ten in the whole country, and I'm going to get all the vegetables and the produce. I'm in Iowa. We just drove through <laughs> miles. Iowa I, sweet I, corn is I good. Got, I got potatoes. I got huge onions. There was not one stalk of corn. Really? It wasn't in season yet. I'm in Iowa, and I can't get get corn at the farmer's market in June. So it's funny you say that because we have a farmer's market out um, west that we operate about Memorial Day to 4th of July. And we always get people from Iowa that are like, no way can you be our sweet corn. You know, we're, and then we're like, okay, here's six ears. It's just free. Try just it. try it. You know, and if you love it, then just come back or tell your friends. And they're back in two days. No joke. And they're like, that is the best sweet corn. We're like, okay, we won't tell Iowa, but Arizona has pretty great sweet corn. And that's one of the crops that you grow. So Russo Farming Company, what's the range of crops that this farm family Uh, grows? We do about 20 different commodities. So right now we're in the sweet corn watermelon phase. And then we did onions just before that in May. And then really all winter we're doing broccoli, cabbage, carrots, uh, parsleys, beets, leeks, kales, chards, um, we have a lot of iceberg now and some romaine and all the spring mix, the different types of varieties and spinach that go into your bag of lettuce. So we kind of have it all. It's and, pretty neat. And most of their coverage then is right here in Maricopa County. And in other words, that's where they're doing most of their farming. Yes, we're right. only in Maricopa County right now. Yeah. So, so you became... Now you say only Maricopa yeah. County, <laughs> but it, it's, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, the last time we had Mr. Russo on... It's seven or eight thousand acres. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yep. Nope. We I have mean, this, quite a bit. This isn't yeah. a backyard adventure. No, it's not. Yeah. And so you're food safety officer mm-hmm. for eight thousand acres of twenty different varieties of food. Yeah. The Keeps pressure is on. That's a big job. Keeps me busy. Well, we have a lot of great. There's. I have a lot of great um, employees and and uh, people that help. So it's a team effort for sure. It's so not just me. Talk about it. Uh, explain to us a day to day for the director of food safety. And and I'll let you do that right after this. We can do a lot of things, but we can't stop the clock. <laughs> rolling, rolling, green body. 
long, wavy, dark green stripe. No, no, And before we get to our topic of melons, we were just getting to uh, what it is like in the day of the Director of Food Safety with Cami uh, Weddle, Russo Family Farms, uh, joining us in our Farm Fresh Hour. What What is it like? Uh, I mean, do you go out and you have little sample swabs? Uh, or, or are you like the... You know, the, the, the taste tester from the medieval days, like, all right, if she doesn't die, everyone else can eat this. <laughs> right. That's yeah, they throw me out there. Um, well, it varies, and that's what I love about it, I guess. Um, so some days, you know, I'm mainly in the office, and then some days um, I'm out with the harvesting crews and just inspecting them and making sure that, you know, they're following the practices that we've laid out to them. So um, uh, we do a lot of training and that um for hand washing and we wear some hair nets in the field on certain commodities and uh, we have pretty extensive sanitation programs on our equipment so when they're harvesting after the end of the day then they go through complete sanitation Uh, so just verifying you know chemical concentrations and training those employees to make sure that they're um, you know mixing the chemicals correctly and and spraying down the equipment properly and then um, you know I might have meetings in the afternoon or um, subcommittees uh, with the Arizona uh, leafy green marketing agreement so it just it really varies which is what I like about it right now I do a lot of taste testing on melons so she is the taste tester yeah but more on quality and to make sure the bricks or the sugar is there and uh, we're just reporting that out to production and the harvest teams and letting them know the quality that we're seeing in the facility. I understand sugar. What's bricks? So what's bricks, a melon brick? Uh, so <laughs> it's just a sugar level, so the percentage, um, and we like to get all of our melons above 10.5%. So we're just you know, taking basically a, a sample out of the melon and squeezing it on a refractometer, and uh, it'll the mirror, you hold it up to the light and it'll um, reflect in the mirror and it'll tell us what percentage it is. So it could be 11 or we've had some people come up and they're like, oh my gosh, we had 14, a 14. And that's obviously a really sweet. Sounds watermelon. like a watermelon selfie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do that on any fruit. So like stone fruit, peaches, uh, cantaloupes, any there we use refracts too. So how do you increase that? Let's say you come back with a sample of seven and you're trying to get to 10. Yep. Once it's picked and off the vine, you can't increase it. So that's why we rely really heavily on our growers and um, just the field conditions that we're in when they're harvesting. And then obviously the cutters, they're the ones that are um, picking the watermelons. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're off a little bit. Sometimes they get a nine, but they're also we're harvesting about a thousand tons of watermelons a day right now. Oh, my goodness. So you can imagine when they're walking through um, these vines and having to make that split second decision, you know, is this good or not? And sometimes they leave it behind and sometimes they, you know, they take it. So literally some of that sweetness is a function of how early you picked it or late. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just if the watermelon is ready, then you this sweetness, you know, is there. And then they, you know, dry down the field sometimes to bring the sugar up. So you don't want to have a lot of irrigation or water right before it because it'll obviously not be as sweet. And it's a real skill set that most people don't appreciate for our farm labor. 
Uh, yes, there we have mechanized some of our picking. I know in some of the leafy greens, there's that capacity. I think mm-hmm. you would cl- classify spinach as mechanically picked now, mm-hmm. correct? Right. But you really can't with watermelons, it, at right. least yet. Right. Unless you want a machine to try to figure out are it is. Is it at its optimum sweetness, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Yeah, so there isn't right now. um, I I imagine, hopefully there is some, you know, someday. But right now it's, yeah, we're just relying on that human eye. And um, they kind of look at the watermelon and um, the the blossom end where it's kind of like dried off or right by the vine they can see that that little curl is dry and then they'll they'll pick it by that and sometimes it's just by the curve in the watermelon at the end um on the vine or the blossom end and they'll uh gary has that way when do you start planting for watermelon so right now, or usually around February and March, um, we, we really stagger it so that we don't have all the water, watermelons ready at one time because we have to have them spaced out so we can make harvest efficient. But yeah, February and March will start. And they're transplants, so they're already about um, 45 days old at that point. when they So go. speaking of melons, and we're impressed with the food safety strategies and protocols you guys have in place. So... What's special to know about watermelons in Arizona? I know you have some fun facts, and you even were going to suggest some recipes and stuff like that. Yeah, so we, uh, I mean, watermelons are one of the healthiest fruits that you can eat. I mean, it's low calorie, but it has um, lycopene, which is an antioxidant, which is a cancer-fighting property to it. And a lot of people who run marathons or hike, uh, they always want to have watermelons afterwards because it just replenishes that hydration in your body. And, um, you know, as hot it is, hot as it is out here right now, we don't see a lot of heat related um, illnesses with our crews because I think they're using the watermelons or, you know, hydrating with that. So Good. that's neat. Um, as far as recipes, I mean, watermelon, people grill it. I, that's not one of my favorite things to do wow. with it, but I have seen it on hamburgers. People kind of flash grill it and then put it on a hamburger. Um, you can, people have mixed it, chopped it up and kind of mixed it with some feta or basil mm, and made a little salad. Um, and then you obviously can get creative and make some smoothies and blend it up, put some mint, basil in it, and then, um, you know, drink it in the morning or, yeah, in the evening. Good stuff. Our farm fresh hour and our outdoor living hour, we do it the first Saturday of every month, connecting you, the Arizona homeowners, with the local uh, commodities from our farming and ranching communities. A $23. billion industry in agriculture is here in the great state of Arizona. I'm hungry for watermelon. <laughs> we had a couple of those over the last weeks, too. And just something I, I cannot figure out. Um, I, I've said it before. If we could figure out how to have the insulation value of a watermelon and apply that to our homes, we would have incredibly well-insulated homes. You can pick a watermelon. You are talking about the heat during the break mm-hmm. and, you know, not only do you guys have to 
uh, director of food safety, but you also have, you know, human safety and guys out in the field and they're, you know, walking acres a day, picking the watermelons. It's a pretty big workout. You got to bend over, pick it up, throw it up to the guy who's stacking them in there. You know, you got to keep the guys hydrated. And, mm-hmm. um, it, they're if- buff at the end of the summer is <laughs> what we're going to say. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that because I thought but some of that was fascinating. The can, cutters and the pickers. and the- You can cut a watermelon in the heat of the summer and it's still cool inside yes. mm-hmm. yeah. with no air conditioning. If we could figure out how to make our homes as well insulated as a watermelon, we'd have some pretty incredible homes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, we, I mean, it's it's quite the, uh, like I was saying, we do about 1,000, 1,100 tons a day. And so just to put that in perspective, you have the, you know, the bins of watermelons you see in the store um, that you can pick out of, you know, that's about 2,500 to 2,800 that we're producing every day. So each one of those watermelons is cut and then it's um, just kind of laid over. And then there's a team of pitchers or pickers that. Now, it's not 2,500 watermelons a day. No, the it's bins. It's 2,500 <laughs> bins full correct yeah yep and then (laughs) so and then those have to be pitched and so they're picked up from the ground and kind of pitched over about five different guys and then put into a trailer and uh, then those are shipped to the the packing shed and then each one of those watermelons are then unloaded onto a packing line and then it's sorted by weight so when you see in a, a costco or a fries those are all by by count, there's a 45 count watermelon bin or a 36 count watermelon bin is a bigger one that you would find in Costco. So, and I don't know if this came off a of Russo family farms, but I was looking for a video during the break and I haven't found it yet. But it's men harvesting watermelons and they're mm-hmm. pitching it one handed. The mm-hmm. guy in the field picks it up with two hands, chucks it, and there's three guys in line and they all one handed just. Yep, some of them get that, yeah. And depending on the size of the watermelon, you can probably do that pretty easily with a 10-pound, but some of those 20-pounders are a little more difficult. And then yesterday, the guys brought me um, a 50-pound watermelon (laughs) on my desk, and it was, like, crazy. I Last year, we only had, like, a 40-pound, I think, was the biggest they brought in, but But 50 pounds. pounds, Yeah, think about how many. So, obviously, there's a lot of things that, and this even ties into food safety um, for your work. Workers, but you've got shade for them. There's plenty mm-hmm. of uh, Gatorade and everything else for hydration. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they'll pick a watermelon and they can consume that uh, because of the nutritional value and mm-hmm. the hydration. But at a, the end of a given day, how many acres have they walked? Um, it just depends, but sometimes it's 20, 30 acres that they walk. Sometimes it's a little more if we're in like a field of a third cut. So the watermelons are kind of spaced out more. But yeah, so they've walked a lot. And there's a, I mean, there's a lot of breaks, obviously, involved in that. And then, like you said at best, we have, you know, Gatorade and uh, break areas, shade areas, and they're, they're hydrating and eating right. And we're constantly like monitoring them and make sure, but the... Yeah, it's it's tough work. They're they're doing um it's very tough work. So. so we have to appreciate our watermelons on this wonderful 4th of July. God bless yes. America because of what it took not only to grow it, but to harvest it, to logistically get it to the stores where we want it. And yes, mm-hmm. we can show up at a farm stand and a lot of our farmers markets here in Arizona on this wonderful 4th of July weekend. And 
a lot of those watermelons are coming from Rousseau Farms. Yeah, they yeah. are. We have a lot of um, farmers markets in the area that are customers right now. So they come and um, pick up the sweet corn or watermelons and then sell it at their various places around the valley, and which is nice because it gets our produce everywhere that people can enjoy. So people in Gilbert don't have to come out to the West Valley to <laughs> right. see our market. So yeah, it's great. So you have seed the- or seedless. We're seedless. We've we have grown lots of seeded in the past, and um, it's just the seedless is the thing now. It's just convenient, especially well, for what are you moms. Supposed to spit at your sibling. I know. <laughs> I know, but I'm, it makes it easier for mom to cut it up for you and not have all those black seeds in them. So it's just kind of the direction everyone's gone. And I think the varieties that we have now, um, sometimes people are like, oh, I think the seeded tastes better. I think the seedless is really, when you get a, you know, the when you right get a water, good, you're, it's with that, what, now very closely, the, if not better. The number of bricks and the premium is 11 and a half bricks, which is, you're identifying the sugar content, mm-hmm. basically. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so if it's a Russo watermelon, we know that's going to yes, happen. Yes. So um, talk <laughs> about some of the, you did ch- identify the different crops that the Russo uh, farming company does grow. But in the summer, we can be pretty confident, certainly here in the valley, that it's either going to be watermelons, sweet corn, any other summer crops? There's uh, squash. A lot of people have. We do. We are growing kind of squash for our markets right now, and then we do green chilies as well, and we're roasting them. Um, yeah, there's a couple of farms in the valley that have tomatoes that we kind of trade out with too, uh, that are in season. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much I think the majority. Yeah, and okra is a summer crop. Mm-hmm. In fact, if somebody's curious, if you've forgotten off the top of your head, what are some of the currently available summer crops here in Arizona, just go to fillyourplate.org because we have that little seasonal chart on that website. And it's real easy. We, there's a, uh, you can either look at the list or there's an uh, infographic for the four seasons here in Arizona. But I'm like you. I love summer crops. Uh, there's, especially our melons are so refreshing. Obviously, they have high water content, our watermelons. But uh, one of the things I wanted to highlight with our cantaloupe here in Arizona, our season for that is kind of unique because we actually have two. We have a beginning cantaloupe season. They're growing and harvesting in Yuma right now, I believe, for Mm -hmm. the cantaloupe. And that's that's kind of springtime. But they also have a fall crop of cantaloupes. Right. So yeah, talk a little bit more about that. We actually, I failed to mention we grow cantaloupes too, but it's just on a lot smaller scale. So I'm always focused on watermelons. (laughs) But um, yeah, so you're correct. Right now is really cantaloupe season. um, And then it'll wind down and you can also do a fall, a cantaloupe season. Same thing with, you know, sweet corn. We have the fall sweet corn season right before um, like Halloween, basically to just before Thanksgiving, we can do that again. Some stats we had posted from a previous broadcast when we talked about melons. Uh, Arizona has 28% of the cantaloupe value and 30% of the honeydew. Uh, I mean, and the I, rest is most likely coming from California, I think. <laughs> yeah. but Probably, but yeah. still 30, 30% of the, the total value yep. to the U.S., that's pretty significant. And, you know, I don't know what the land size comparison to California. I know Arizona is 100 and... Uh, 13 square miles. I have no idea what California is, but by ratio, that's probably pretty. It's very significant for the size of our state and the limitations we have on land because so much of our land is federal, state, and um, tribal. So 
when you realize what we do on the limited acreage that we have. And then the other point of that is a lot of our land is not really available. It's not good for farming. It's good for grazing cattle. But uh, I think, and uh, my uh, ranchers will correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I think rangeland-wise or land that's available to our cattle through the federal state uh, and tribal leases is something like 73-74% of land that we can use for agriculture. So then the balance of that agriculture land is for crops. But um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Cammie, because I know you'll know as Director of Food Safety, we actually have been looked at on a national scale because of the impressive food protocols that we have in place, hence directors that are managing to make sure that your food safety protocols are in place. Talk a little bit about that. Why is even the federal government has looked at our system and said, okay, they're doing it right? Yeah. uh, Well, I think just experience with the the types of crops we grow, leafy greens, and we have a lot of great food safety professionals, um, especially in Yuma, that, uh, you know, our growers work with the growers. And um, so I think their involvement and developing the California and Arizona LGMAs or leafy green marketing agreements, uh, you know, just lends itself to the federal, the federal government looking at those programs. So now we have the produce safety rule in place. Um, and a lot of the, the leafy green guidances were already well above the produce safety rule. Or So, it, yeah, it's been a neat process. And it's nice that Arizona's, you know, at the forefront of that and involved in that. And we have a lot of great uh, food safety professionals in the state. And for others to be looking at us doesn't mean that we should rest on our, our laurels. We're always trying to figure out ways to operate and improve our practices. Is right. that one of the reasons why the leafy green? Yeah, I think a lot. We have um, the University of Arizona um, and the Cooperative Extension. There's a lot of research that is going on um, to, to kind of determine where some of these outbreaks are are coming from and just that collaboration between industry and research and academic uh, academic uh, individuals I think really lends itself to you know Arizona doing it right yeah yeah. so I'm going to put you on the spot and you don't have to name all 15 but I think under this leafy greens agreement there's 15 crops can you name at least a majority of them Oh, you are putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, iceberg, lettuce, or romaine. Uh, we got arugula, spinach, radicchio, cabbage. Broccoli. No, broccoli's uh, not one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it has food safety practices in place yes. for it, but it's not yes. under the So it's not under the protocol. Arizona leafy green marketing okay. agreement. Yeah, so it's just lettuce and leafy greens. Why did they happen to pick, and they're all leafy greens, they're all grown here in Arizona and California. Was it, I didn't, I know they didn't come to it randomly. No, I think, I mean, just by definition, what lettuce and then leafy greens are kind of just what the commodities are. What they are. kind of brought yeah. together because, uh, and these are uh, not just our farmers, but our shippers. These are a lot of 
them have signed on to the agreement saying we are going to, because we want to create a baseline across the industry to support food safety. So it's your farmers, it's your shippers. They've all come together in this agreement. And then how long has it been in existence? Since 2007. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot of commitment. History to there. Yeah. yeah. And it's changing. It's we're right now we're looking through our soil amendment um, guidance and our metrics and adjusting and our adjacent land use. So it's just kind of this this uh, routine or changing schedule that we we go through all the different issues and then um, update them. And, you know, for our Arizona families, we might not always realize how important these things are, but I think it's really good for us to kind of share uh, for our listening audience so that they understand there's a serious commitment in the industry to this. Right. We, I mean, we eat this, these commodities, these vegetables that we grow every single day. Um, we want them to be nutritious and, and healthy and safe. And we are committed to the safety of them and, and making sure that we're doing everything in our power to make sure we get safe vegetables to everyone. That's awesome. And my wandering mind had to take a little bunny trail Arizona is 113, almost 114,000 square miles. California is 164,000 square miles. So by ratio and land mass, we overproduce on melon vat if that other 70% does come from California. So, so there we go. I mean, yeah. my numbers we, we guy. We way outperform California yeah, on the melon yes. on, a, on a lot of things, actually. <laughs> but definitely on. <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> The first documented watermelon harvested was in Egypt around 5,000 years ago. It was even scribed in the hieroglyphics, and watermelon seeds were found in the tomb of Pharaoh. Do you think any of those seeds have found their way into the the Russo family farm? (laughs) I'm sure, yeah. Varieties, yeah, have changed, obviously, a lot. Uh, We probably get higher yields than they did back then, but... uh, (laughs) At least here in Arizona, right? So we have to ask you, Cammie, and thank you for being on the show. Cammie Weddle, Director of Food Safety for Russo Farming Company. We really appreciate all that you do for farming and keeping us, uh, making sure the plate of food that's set before us is healthy and nutritious and safe. Um, What's your favorite way to eat watermelon? You know, I really just like it sliced and just eaten like that inside, you know, on the side of anything, a sandwich or whatever I'm eating, it's probably, but I, I also do like blending it and putting, you know, strawberries in it and, um, you know, some mint and then maybe a little, if it's a Friday night or Saturday, maybe a little spirit in there. Oh, So uh, your choice, (laughs) 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 but those are probably my favorite ways, but yeah, I'm I'm excited so that you college, guys had me. You were me. the one that cut the watermelon in half, sliced it up, and poured a little, and just let it <laughs> ferment there for a couple hours. And yeah, put the bottle in and then leave fork. it in the refrigerator uh-huh. overnight. Yeah, we we experimented some with that. <laughs> you notice how she knew knew so well how to describe how she did it. <laughs> I love it. Busted. Well, again, thank but, you for yeah. Thanks for having us. Yes. And you guys, you're still time to get your watermelons. Visit our market. We're open um, till I believe Tuesday, Wednesday next week. And we have, like I said, the watermelon, sweet corn, and chilies. And you can find us on Facebook under Russo Farming and follow yes. us. And we're, though, if they don't go to Facebook, 
where exactly are you located? The market. We part are of the farm. on Olive and Saravel off the Loop 303. Okay. So we're pretty far out west. But, but at least if it's you're a fun that, drive. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel that far anymore. And yeah, with the freeways, it doesn't feel that far. So it goes and pretty fast. All and the, I mean, every time I go up that 303 stretch, it seems like there's a new mega. A warehouse going right. up somewhere. It's like, what happened to all of our farms out here? There's but still y'all some peppered Russo's in there. But Russo's still there. Yep, we are so far. So and good. the Russo family has been in Arizona farming for a long, long time. And they are a great family and do a lot of great things and have an amazing capacity to produce a lot of year-round vegetables for us, mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables. Yep. So Local thanks. Arizona, support us. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yes. So there was something else I wanted to share with our listeners. Um, Arizona Farm Bureau is a nonprofit, member-driven dri- general agriculture uh, organization. And in fact, we're celebrating our 100 years this year. So Rousseau family um, have always been members, I believe. And it's families like those that said, hey, we need some kind of organization that represents us. So that's why we've been here for 100 years. And one of the fun things, if you're a member... Whether you're a non-ag member, which is only 59 bucks, we uh, charge the Aggies, the farmers and ranchers, I like to say, we charge ourselves a higher price on that. I'm still an ag member, even though our family's not in farming. I pay uh, $142 a year. If I said month, I meant a year. I always have a tendency to say that. But we have a new benefit that's launching on the 7th of July, which is this coming week, where if you're a member, you have access to our U of A global campus member benefit, which gets you 25% off, 20% discount on your tuition through the U of A global campus and also free books. And you know what? 20% discount yeah. for yeah, $60 that's incredible. a I wish, year. I wish yeah. I would have had that. $5 yes. a month. That's great. Well, because, you know, uh, our institutions of higher learning sometimes have a hefty price tag. But if you're wanting to finish your undergraduate, maybe you didn't finish it or you never went back for your master's and you keep kicking yourself for that one, uh, they have a whole cadre of uh, programs, classes. And um, I didn't get my master's. I have my undergraduate in journalism from ASU. Oh, no. Go Devils. I did not (laughs) know that about Julie. But I don't know. (laughs) If I sign up for the U of A Global Campus uh, through my membership in Arizona Farm Bureau... I may be able to really, truly cheer would, on both the Devils and the Wildcats. Yeah. <laughs> would you say $20,000 is pretty conservative estimate for a degree out of UVA? Oh, yeah. Probably. So to save 20% of that, 2000 There you go. That's, that's a 33-year yeah. uh, return on your investment just for a $60 yeah. uh, So I'm, And you can be a Wildcat, which is, <laughs> I mean, a Devil and a Wildcat. Here we go. Hey, for the record, for my U of A buddies, I do cheer cheer when they're not playing the Sun Devils. So. Oh, well, I never cheer for the Sun Devils. So sorry. <laughs> okay, you guys should see. No. Fill your it's plate. Okay. Still love you. Uh, yes, uh, fillyourplate.org is our website that features uh, searchable databases if you want to search for farmer's market in the valley or statewide. Uh, also our recipes and all sorts of fun stuff and a blog. We also have a blog. We post three times a week on that. And then to sign up for the membership, azfb.org. Correct. 